Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, well, take your Bibles and go with me to Genesis chapter 11. We are looking at, again, as, as often uh, these stories have been in Genesis, probably a familiar story to you. Uh, the Tower of Babel, or as the CSB puts it, the Tower of Babylon. We'll, we'll talk about that, um, because that, that's, that's a little bit different probably than, than what you're used to hearing, um, but uh, we'll, we'll hear about that. So uh, as you're turning there, let's, let's just recap real quick. We've looked at creation. Uh, we said that uh, God is the author of creation, gets to set the rules, right, that he created everything good. Um, then we looked at Adam and Eve. And uh, we learned about God's plan for our relationship with him, God's plan for our relationship with one another, God's plan for marriage. Um, we saw God's perfect plan in action. We saw what it looked like for people to live in a relationship with one, with one another without any kind of strife, to live in fellowship with God without any sin that, that separated them. And then in Genesis 3, everything changed with the fall. Everything came unglued. And uh, we have since that, that third week, we've looked at the, the fall and the results of the fall that we, of course, still experience uh, day in and day out here, even now in, in the year 2019 uh, A.D., right? But, but all that started in, in Genesis 3. And we, see, we saw the, the fallout of the fall, certainly with Cain and Abel, the first murder, and then uh, before the end of Chapter 4, we have yet another murder that happened. A couple weeks ago, we looked at just a couple of verses about an interesting man uh, named Enoch, who we were simply told uh, that Enoch walked with God and that God took him. And we saw what it looked like to, to live in fellowship. And then last week, we looked at what's probably one of the most well-known stories in all the Bible, that of Noah and the flood and God pouring out his wrath on sin and, and sinners and Yet the great grace that was also present there and that God did not completely wipe out his uh, creation, but he chose Noah and his family to, um, to, to kind of hit reset with. And yet we saw that even, even when this, in this family that was picked as, the, as maybe humanity's best shot at, at, at restarting, there was still deep sin involved in their life. And so we, we saw that that as good as, as, as righteous as Noah may have been, as great faith as Noah had, um, we needed something more. That we needed a better Savior than, than Noah. This morning we're going to fast forward a little while to, to chapter 11 and another familiar story. And again, we're, we're going to be reminded that, that the problem of human sin was not cured at the flood. We're going to see that, that the, the hearts of people continued to turn away from God. And certainly we see that in our own culture today. And so as we look at this, at this story that maybe you're, you're familiar with, the story of the, the Tower of Babel, um, we're going to learn something, I think, about ourselves, about the, the world around us, and how we are to live in light of God's word to us. So if you will stand with me, we're going to read Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9 this morning. This is the Tower of, as the CSB puts, the Tower of Babylon. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. 
They said to each other, Come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise we will be scattered throughout the earth. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. The Lord said, if they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it is called Babylon, for the Lord there confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together and to open up your word. And I pray that you will speak this morning through your word. As we look at a story that's familiar to us, and yet I pray we wouldn't dismiss it just because it is familiar, but we would look at it with fresh eyes this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. There's a, there's a great passage out of uh, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. And um, if, if, you, if, if you're a reader, you know, I'd say even if you're not a reader, if you're not a reader, you should be. Um, but th- this is a book that, that I was, it's one of the most important, I, I think, that's been written in the last hundred years or so. And this is usually one of the first books I would recommend when somebody says, you know, I'm, I'm trying to I'm get, improve my relationship with God. My, my first question is, always, okay, are you reading the Bible? Because if not, start there. But then secondly, if, if you're looking for something to read, Mere Christianity is, a, is an outstanding uh, book. And, and in there he says this. It says, there is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes, except when, or loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. I have heard people admit that they are bad-tempered, or that they cannot keep their heads about girls or drink, or even that they are cowards. I do not think I have ever heard anyone who is not a Christian accuse himself of this vice. And at the same time, I have, ve- I have very seldom met anyone who is not a Christian who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular, and no fault which we are more conscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I'm talking of is pride or self-conceit, and the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. Like that, right, that no man in the world is free of this vice, and everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else. See, at the heart of what's happening in Babel is a pride issue. People saying, look how great we are. Let's do all we can to make a name for ourselves. And what we're going to see this morning is that if we choose to make our own name great, if that's our goal, God will have none of it because God shares his glory with no one. And so in verses 1 through 4, what we see is simply is that the people rebel. 
People rebel against God. We're told the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. Now, notice something here right off the bat. Do you see how many times the phrase us, we, our, how many times that first person pronoun is used there? Come, let us make a name for ourselves. Let's make our name great. The people wanted themselves, they wanted a name for themselves. And that, that pride, that wanting them to, wanting their own name to become great, led them into disobedience to God's command. Now, pride in itself is sin, as as the the Bible makes clear. We'll look a little little bit more at that later on this morning. But what happened is that the people's pride, their desire to make a name for themselves, led them into sin. So we looked last week in Genesis 9, uh, chapter, or chapter 9, verse 1, and then again in verse 7, the Lord gives this repeated command to Noah and his family as they come off the ark. And it's simply this, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's the same command that, that Adam and Eve were given in chapter 1, verse 28. Their their primary goal, one way they were obedient to God, was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. For Noah and his family especially, to repopulate the earth after the flood. Now, it seems like things are going well, right? I mean, we even see that the technology was advancing because we're we're told about how they made bricks. They used brick for stone and they would use asphalt for mortar. So they're building. Technology's developing. It would seem that human... The humankind is flourishing. And then something happened. So, so apparently they were obedient to this command in the beginning, after the flood, because we see that people were, were spreading. And in fact, in, in chapter 10, in the table of nations, we see that, that, that they were doing this. And then in chapter 11, something happened. They stopped scattering. They stopped filling the earth. And it seems that Humanity was settling in one place, traditionally known as Babel. However, as the, the reason the, the CSB uses the word Babylon here is that the same word um, from which we get Babylon throughout the Old Testament is, is where we get the word Babel. And it simply means confusion. If you know anything about the history of Babylon, there's a lot of confusion that comes both in and because of Babylon. And so this passage then is going to become a foreshadowing of what we see later in the Old Testament of, of Babylon, maybe even into the New Testament, where Babylon is seen as a city of judgment, a city of destruction. And so the people settle in, they get comfortable, and this subtle yet deadly sin creeps in, this pride. And in verses 3 and 4, five times, get get that, in two verses, five times, we, we, we see this first person pronoun coming out. Come, let us. Come, let us. Something about ourselves 
let us. Otherwise, we. So, so we see that the, the people's focus is not on God, it's, it's on themselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. And how are we going to do that? We're going to build a tower into the heavens. Let, at the end of verse 4, let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise we will be scattered throughout the earth. Now, now, let me translate that for you, because here's what they said. Let's see how great we can become, otherwise we'll have to obey God. Otherwise, we'll be scattered throughout the earth. Oh, you mean like God commanded you to? Yeah, but you know, we're not, we're not really fans of God's commands. But let's just do our own thing. So the people were concerned with their own fame, with making a name for themselves. And what's, what's interesting, you know, in Genesis 3, uh, we said that, um, you, you know, it seems that, that Adam and Eve were concerned with everything except for what God thought. Like God's... God never entered that conversation with the serpent. And here, in, in the beginning of chapter 11, we never see these people give any thought to God whatsoever. Now, interestingly enough, next week, we're going to look at a man who has completely surrendered to God. A man by the name of Abram. To whom... God promised, if you remember this, I will bless you and I will make your name great. Isn't it interesting that to Abram, whom, who's never concerned about his own name, God says, I'll make your name great. I don't want to get too far ahead. We'll get back, back there, right? Now, now listen, before we point fingers and we laugh at, the, at these silly Babylonians, I think we need to stop and ask ourselves, are, are we concerned? Am I concerned? Are you concerned with making God's name great or with your own? When we wake up in the morning, are, are, are we concerned with, man, how can I stand out today? How can I make myself look good, whether it's because of my, in front of my neighbors, maybe in front of my spouse, in front of my coworkers? Or am I concerned with how can I make God's name great? See, pride is deadly because pride makes yourself a little God. Little G. Put yourself in the place that only God should have. Pride makes you say, I deserve I, I deserve my paycheck. I deserve my house. I deserve my car. Or, or as our culture is obviously buying into, I deserve another house or another car or another spouse because this one's obviously not doing something right. I deserve. And, and, and listen, if we look around, is our culture not bought into that completely? We're coming up to Christmas season, which I'm very excited about. But that also means that we're coming up to uh, all the commercials that surround Christmas. Right? We've, we've talked about this before, but a couple weeks before Thanksgiving, you'll start seeing that Lexus commercial, right? Where, where, that, where that pretty wife gets another new Lexus this year. Because the one she had last year wasn't good enough, right? And, you know, has like the little red bow on there. And, you know, she walks out on Christmas morning and she's so astounded. And she kisses her husband. You know, thank you. We're in debt for the next 10 years. And, uh, 
I've joked before, Michelle's reaction would be very different from that in the commercial if I, if I saddled us with a you know, $70,000 car. Um, but but what's, the, what, what's the idea behind that? The idea behind that is I deserve this. You deserve this, right? You deserve him to go to Jared. You, you, des- right? you, you deserve something. This is what the Bible has to say about pride. It has a lot to say about pride. I've pulled a couple out here. Maybe one of the best known is Proverbs 16, 18. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Pride comes before destruction. It's a lot of fun to open up those presents that you bought for yourselves. It's a lot less fun when the credit card bill comes rolling in, right? Another one, James 4, 6. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We'll we'll talk much more about that next week with with Abram. But if if pride is ultimately me trying to put myself in the place of God, and trying to make my name great when I should be concerned with making his name great. Well, it turns out the Bible has something to say about God's name and his glory as well. In Isaiah 42, 8, we see this. I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. I was in the kids' Sunday school class this morning. They actually sang a song about this verse. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. And by the way, that includes you and me. God's never looked at anyone and said, oh, you're right. Man, you're, you're so awesome. I'm so, I'll just back off, right? I'll let you make your name great. You're right. And, you know, the last, and this, I mean, it's 2019. You're right. Me, me being so concerned with my own fame is a little old-fashioned. You just, you take center stage here. No. No. God shares his glory with no one. Not even you, not even me. That's why this, this account of, of Babel is so striking for us and why, why God comes down and takes such drastic steps because they're trying to do something that's, that's only, that, that only God can do. They're trying to make their name great. God says God's name alone is to be made great. So then God responds. All right, so we saw the people rebel, and then then God responds. Look at me at verse 5. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. The Lord said, if they had begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it is called Babylon. For, the Lord, for there, the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. Now, I've, I've read some, um, some non-believers who will look at this and say, isn't, this, isn't God being kind of petty here? Because he's getting mad, you know, look at, look at what my people are doing. I'm just going to go down there and, and, and confuse their, their speech. Is this some sort of divine hissy fit that God's throwing here? Well, not when you consider whose dirt it was they were using to make their bricks. 
Imagine that for just a second, right? These people are taking the dirt, taking mud, created by God, and they're saying, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build some stuff and make our name really great. We're going we're to, man, look at how cool we are. We're going to make the, in fact, let's just make this tower go all the way up into heaven. And that'll put us on the same, maybe that'll put us on the same level as God. Wouldn't that be awesome? They wanted to be like God, which, by the way, is the same temptation that Eve gave into in Genesis 3-5. Where the serpent says to her, come on, you just, you just take a bite of this and you will be like God. Now, what's interesting, right? So, so the people's goal is to build this tower to the heavens. Let's just build this all the way up to the, to, the, to the place where God dwells. We'll just walk up there and look him in the eye and be like, what's up, Yahweh? How you doing, right? That's their, that's their mindset. Now look at verse 5. Now, this is subtle, but don't miss this. Then the Lord came down. Hey, I know, we'll just build a tower all the way up to the heaven. And what does it say? The Lord came down. You know what that means? That means they failed. They were completely unable to do what they thought they were going to do. That's why I said, I called this here God's condescension. I don't mean that, I don't mean that in a condescending way like we, like we would think, right? But, but there's a sense in which the, the, while the people are trying to build this tower to God, up to God, God comes down. In other words, why I'm saying you have no idea what you're attempting to do. You cannot do it. There, there is some humiliation here pointed towards the people of, of Babylon. They failed in their task. In fact, this is what, in Psalm 2, this is, this is what the psalmist writes. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. Does that sound familiar at all? Man, we got to shed ourselves this old-fashioned religious, religious garbage. You know, re- religion might have had its place, but, but this is 2019. We're, we're obviously well, well beyond and advanced beyond that, right? We've, we've come so far. I mean, you know, we're tearing each other apart on Twitter, but look at how, how civilized we've become. We don't need God anymore. Look at verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. So it's kind of like a, a three-year-old throwing a temper tantrum who decides to pack their suitcase and head out on their own. I don't need you anymore. I don't need this house. I don't need your rules. I got it. Now, and my thought, I was always tempted to just kind of open up the door and be like, all right, there you go. I'll come find you in about five minutes, right? Like, it's, it's ridiculous. People's plot in vain. Take their stand against the rulers. Take their stand. The rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains. Throw their ropes off of us. We don't need him. And says the Lord just laughs because they have no idea what they're talking about. Now, now again, we see something of the wrath of God here and that he, 
he comes down and he sees what's going on. And he decides we're going to confuse their language. And we see the, we see the wrath of God, although at this time I would say it's less severe than, than killing every living human being, every living human in a flood, right? Instead, he confuses their language. Now, now think about that. Does that not expose how powerless they actually are? That God can just confuse their language and suddenly they can't communicate with one another. But then we see God's compassion. So, so yeah, we see God's condescension, him coming down and, and, and showing them that they've completely failed. But then we see his compassion in verses 8 and 9. Now, now we, we may ask, okay, how is it compassion that God's confused their language and then scattered them throughout the whole earth? How, how on earth is that compassionate? Well, remember the command that God gave them. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They were refusing to do that. They, they were living in active disobedience, so God helped their obedience out a bit. Tell you what, how about if you just can't understand each other, and how about if I just separate you two? Right? Again, parents, right? You're going to help our children's obedience by not fighting with one another. We're just going to separate them. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to scatter you throughout the earth. That way you are obedient to my command and, and a part of the plan that I have. Now, look, God could have destroyed the people of Babylon, right? In fact, I think we're going to see that often throughout the Old Testament. God could have, I mean, just gone Thanos and snapped, his th- snapped and, and that been it. And yet, God showed compassion. And instead of destroying them, he causes them to be obedient. He he furthers them in their obedience. And isn't it interesting that at the end of verse 4, the people's fear is that they would be scattered throughout the earth. And because of their disobedience, because of their refusal to obey God, they end up being scattered throughout the earth. Isn't it interesting that, that in their disobedience, the very thing that they feared would happen is, is, is what ultimately happens? So, so what do we do with this? Well... First of all, we need to take a good hard look inside and, and, and see if there's any pride within us that's fighting against the things of God, the, the, thing, the things of God. In fact, C.S. Lewis goes on to say in Mere Christianity, he said that pride leads to every other vice. He says it is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Because again, pride puts myself in the place that only God should have. And thankfully, Scripture gives us a better way. I don't, I don't have the, the full text of this passage on, on, on the screen, but I, but I do have the reference. This is one to jot down. This is one to, to jot down, I think, and, and reflect on often. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 11. 
Paul tells us here, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then he turns our attention to Jesus. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, if there was ever a human being who had the right to make a name for himself, who had a right to pride. Certainly it was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only only human being who's ever lived a perfect, sinless life. And yet the example that he left for us is rather than being concerned with his own name, he was concerned with his Father's name. And rather than than coming and, and, and living his life in an arrogant way, he emptied Himself by assuming the form of a servant and humbling himself to the point of death, even to death on a cross. See, in the example of Jesus, we have the anti-Babel. And the result is, we're told that, that God exalted him so that the name of Christ, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now, now here's, here's the difference, right? If we humble ourselves, if we submit to Christ, that doesn't mean that God's automatically going to give you a great name. But do you know what will happen is that if, if we're submitted to Christ, suddenly we won't care about having a name for ourselves. Our concern will be to lift high the name of Jesus. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that so many of the men and women who we know, who we talk about, could care less about, could have cared less about their own reputations. They wanted to make Jesus known. Think about folks like, as, as we'll say her name a lot here in the next couple of months, a young lady by the name of Lottie Moon who moved to China, gave her life to share the gospel of Jesus with the Chinese people. And and here we still talk about her almost 200 years after she lived. But but in order to make her name great? No, but because she lived to make Jesus' name great. May we live our lives the same way to make Jesus known in a lost and dying world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for this text. And I thank you for the example that we have of, of the people of Babel. Certainly much of it is, is an example of what not to do. How we're to not live our lives. And yet, in that, we're shown something of how we are to live our lives. I thank you for sending Christ Jesus to not just 
be a good example for us, although he certainly did that. But to pay the penalty for sin. And I pray we'd be reminded of that every time that, that pride tries to creep up in our hearts. That we'd be reminded that apart from Christ, we were powerless to do anything about our condition on our own. That we were lost Deserving sin, deserving eternal separation from you because of our sin. I pray that we would live to make Christ's name known, to make his name great. To lead people to trust in him. And at the end of the day, when this life is over, if no one remembers our name, that's okay. Because we lived and poured ourselves out to make the only name that matters great. Humble us. Root out pride in our hearts. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 10.30. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.